Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief here at Modern Retail. This week, we have Mike Abadi. He's the co-founder and CEO of the betting company Sunday Citizen, which is primarily a DTC brand, but has a few other sales channels. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys just opened a store recently. And so I want to talk just about sort of the growth of the company. It's been around for a few years and the strategy you have going forward into the new year. It's an especially interesting time to be a digitally native brand. But Mike, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining me. Kale, thanks for having me. Very excited. Absolutely. So first, tell tell me a little bit about yourself. You've had uh, a pretty interesting career over the years with various brands. And also, I think you started in investment banking. Is that true? Yeah, that's correct. So I started off right out of college in investment banking. Um, I was doing M&A for Lehman Brothers, you know, which after the collapse, ended up, I ended up transitioning to Barclays. Um, and I did that um, a, as, a, as a way to, you know, it's, it's a great learning place, but I quickly realized that it's not something that I wanted to make a career out of it. So I basically ended up uh, leaving um, it, the banking world and became an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, so I had a couple of failed attempts um, at entrepreneurship until I finally had my, my, my first hit with a company called Hiving Colony. Uh, where we were doing tailor-made suits. Um, and, you know, we, we started off with a tailored truck that we retrofitted uh, and we would drive around Manhattan and we would have like, we would park outside of all the investment banks. So people would come in, they would get a 3D scan of their bodies and then we would make tailor-made suits for them. Um, and, and that was a great experience. From there, we transitioned into brick and mortar stores uh, and, you know, we opened our first brick and mortar store in Boston uh, about what, like five years ago. And, uh, you know, so I, I ended up having that retail experience uh, through that company. Um, and the, the brand is still around. At this point, they have about uh, 10 stores, more or less. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So they've grown pretty quickly. I ended up exiting um, that company and... Um, and, and yeah, and that's when I ended up getting involved with, um, I, that's when I ended up starting Sunday Citizen. One question is, what do you think made uh, made that work compared to the other earlier, uh, you know, businesses you started? What what worked specifically with that? Yeah, I think it was a, a, a bunch of things. The, you know, I, the, the, the suit business came out of a real need. You know, I was living in, uh, as, as an investment banker, I realized the need for, affordable suits that fit your body well. Like I, I realized that how fit made a much bigger difference to how you look than the brand than of the suit, right? So you would you could be in a in a in a cheaper tailor-made suit and it looked a lot better than an expensive Senya. Um and so, <laughs> so I so I realized as a banker that there was a big need for that and and um and, and and that's where I think we really found a, a good market fit. Uh, you know, I, I, my other failed attempt was I was trying to sell electric motorcycles in South America, which was a little bit of a bolder attempt. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, we were a little early, a little early in the game. It was like when electric vehicles were unheard of, you know, people would still it would come to ask me if they would get electrocuted if it started raining, you know? So it was the type of thing where I think we were a little early in the game, but again, all great learning experiences, you know? And, and I think all of this gave me a lot of, a, a lot of insight into the a production world, into the product world, you know, sourcing and production, 
in China. And that's what basically uh, gave me a lot of the experience I ended up using for, for Sunday Citizen. And you exited Hyven Colony in 2018, is that correct? Uh, yes, about that. Yeah, correct, 2018. Walk us through Sunday Citizen. So how did that that all start? What was the idea? What was the go-to-market plan, et cetera? Yeah, so when I started the suit business, I actually moved to China. I was living in China, in Shanghai. Um, and being in Shanghai, you always have people that ask you, hey, Mike, you know, since you're living in Shanghai, can you help me find this product? Can you help me find that product, right? You, you know, you're in China. So uh, I actually started like a little side business of sourcing for other brands I wanted to buy from China. Um, and one of my clients, you know, a, was this hotel owner that he, he owned a couple of high-end, very high-end boutique hotels. And he was looking for a blanket for his hotels that had to be very, very soft, but at the same time, it had to withstand the wear and tear of, of, of hotel use, machine wash, etc. You know, and this is a guy who's extremely, extremely fabric centric and everything in his life, you know, his clothes, his sheets, everything is like has to be very soft. So he was looking for something that had to be very, very soft for his hotels. And that's when we ended up developing a blanket for his hotels. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fourth generation textile family. You know, my my father is um, a textile engineer. You know, my great grandfather was in textiles as well. So. You know, my father, um, with his textile engineering know-how, he helped me develop this blanket for the uh, for this hotel guy, and it was a big success. I'm telling you, like the guests at the hotel would 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 want to buy the blankets when they would uh, check out. Um, uh, they they actually started selling the blankets in the hotel lobbies, and we started to see very good results on on, on demand. Uh, but at the time, I was sort of still with the uh, Hiving Colony, you know, so it was something that I really didn't do much of, you know. So once I exited Hiving Colony, uh, we knew that we had a great product in our hands and, you know, we wanted to take it to market. So my wife, she, she, her background was also in, in branding and marketing. Um, so, we, you know, my wife and I, we approached uh, the, 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 the hotel owner and he said, hey, let's partner together and take this blanket to market, you know? And, and we, we knew that the route to go was through D2C, you know, direct-to-consumer e-commerce. Um, with a suit business, we, even though it was brick and mortar, 70% of all of our customers were being acquired online, you know? So I, I had already that experience of, of, of a digital acquisition, you know, digital marketing for, for acquisition. So that's where I felt very comfortable from the very beginning saying that we should be going the, the D2C route, you know? So we launched Sunday Citizen, you know, our first website sale um, was in summer of 2019. And at the time we were selling only blankets, only blankets. Um, important to note that prior to, to launching, my wife and I and, and two toddlers at the time, we actually moved to China. We, we moved back to Shanghai um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so I had lived there for two years during the suit business. And then I ended up having another two years there for Sunday Citizens because, you know, we it's not like we were going to factories and saying, hey, show us your catalog. We're going to place an order. You know, we were really co-developing product with them. You know, we were getting into the engineering of the fabrics of the yarns 
And there was no factory that was making the products that we needed. So we really had to be very on the grounds, um, developing product together with, with our manufacturing partners. And that required us to, you know, especially with two babies, I couldn't be traveling back and forth. Um, and um, we ended up living there for two years. But in a way, that was great because it allowed us to really uh, expand our product um, very quickly. So we, we started only with blankets but um, we quickly expanded into comforters, sheets, pillows, weighted blankets, even loungewear. But every single product that we added to the mix maintained that originally, original value proposition that we were offering the, the hotel guy of extreme softness plus easy care. So everything that, that every product that went through our funnel had to meet that criteria. So, um, we, we, we ended up being in China. Pretty much, we were lucky because we were there until January of 2020. We actually left. Well, I was going to ask <laughs> yeah. when you got out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we, it was crazy because we got out in January of 2020, but we didn't leave because of COVID. At the time, nobody had heard of COVID. Um, we left because it was Chinese New Year. Nobody wants to be in China for, for the New Year. So we actually went on vacation to um, Costa Rica. My wife is from Costa Rica. Um, so we left there. On vacation, planning to go back three weeks later, and we just never went back. You know, we were stuck in Costa Rica pretty much for a whole year. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I have a bunch of questions to follow up from that, but one is about the launch plan. Um, uh, I feel like, I mean, it's business dynamics change every year, but I would imagine if someone today had a really good blanket that was selling well in a hotel. They would they would eschew the DTC business and say I'm only going to do B two B and then build DTC from there. Was it was it just because DTC was a was a hot thing was a hot business model back then that you decided to do it online first or sort of what was your thought? Why didn't you say why don't we try selling this in more hotels and then go from there? Because really it was the, the the business that I understood better. You know I, you know I I felt comfortable at the digital advertising um, game, like acquiring customers online. And my wife, her background was also on the website side of things, you know, so we both felt that that, that's where we felt a little bit more comfortable. Uh, But, you know, we did, at the very beginning, we did plan to have like a parallel wholesale expansion, you know, so we actually went to a trade show um, in February of 2020 um, to try to get some wholesale accounts, but, Obviously, in, in that regard, you know, that came to a complete halt. And we were lucky that we were stronger on the D2C side, uh, the website and everything, because that's what really started to propel the business uh, for, for growth, no? Got it, got it. You don't need to give up any proprietary anything, but uh, we had a guest a couple of months ago um, who, who makes towels, Wheezy. And one of the things that really stuck with me about what that founder, what she said was that she was very, very uh, reticent to have her products in hotels specifically because of the industrial cleaning. And so like, how, how were you able to bypass that? Or like, what, like what makes it so that uh, a Sunday citizen comforter works such that it can go into one of those huge, insanely rough washing machines and still come out soft. Yeah. I actually heard that uh, we see uh, podcast as well. So, so yeah, I, I agree with her. Uh, it's, it's difficult to produce something that can, can do both. Um, in, in, in our case, it was by default, right? Because we had originally produced for the hotel use, but at the same time, we realized that that's a value proposition that our our, our home buyers also want. And everybody, nobody wants, you know, a very soft cashmere or alpaca blanket that's very soft, but 
you're going to have to spend $50 every one, every time you want to dry clean it. No, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, we, we felt that that ability to ease of cleanliness for it to withstand the wear of tear of, of machine washability and everything is something that our home buyers also appreciate it, you know? So that's why we decided to keep that value proposition for all our products. Um, so even though we were not producing for hotels anymore, we, we felt that it was like, if we could make it for a hotel, it was just that much better for a home use, you know? Um, and, and then it, when it, it, when it came to, when it came to, um, the, the rest of our products, you know, whether it was the bed sheets or the comforters that, that just started adding on top of that value proposition. And, and that's how our line expanded so quickly. We'll keep in the past for a little bit and then we'll go to present future. But I wanted to ask about the original marketing mix because you launched before COVID hit, you decided to go DTC, but then, you know, about a year in, we're in a whole new ball game. How did that change? What what were you focusing on? And where is your marketing mix now? Because it's we're in a very different customer acquisition landscape than we were in 2019. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when we launched, you know, we 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 were experimenting a lot, you know, like I said, we tried to wholesale. We and, and at the same at the time we were our advertising mix was primarily Facebook, Google, but we were also doing some Amazon. You know, we actually when we started, we were also on Amazon. Um, and we very quickly realized that the acquisition cost on Amazon was almost the same as in Shopify, and and that the value of the customer that we were acquiring from Amazon was significantly inferior to that of Shopify. You know, the AOV was a lot lower. The repurchase rate was a lot lower, plus the fact that it's not our customer, right? We can't continuously target him or send them emails, communicate with them. So we ended up basically early on, again, testing a little bit and just refocus, you know, shutting, we ended up shutting off Amazon, passing the whole budget into Facebook and and Google at the time, you know, both were working very well. and we also, from the very beginning, were doing a lot of influencer marketing. So that, that was part of the mix from day one. So it really was influencer uh, marketing, Facebook and Google. Um, you know, when we, of course, once COVID hit, you know, Facebook became extremely effective, you know, very, very, um, th- that, that was, that, that's when we were able to really start growing at, you know, triple digits for, for, for those two years. And, um, you know, then of course, once say iOS fourteen hit, we had to rethink our, our our reshuffling. So you know, when that happened, we we made it a point to diversify our our advertising mix. You know, we started testing in you know uh, TikTok ads. We started going into affiliate marketing a lot heavier. Um, at that point, we also started to re retake the wholesale channel. So you know, like at this point, I would say about. Um, ninety five percent of our revenue is going through our website, but we do have that five percent that's on on uh, wholesale. But wholesale, the wholesale business is growing faster than our website business at this point. So it's something where we don't want it to take over, but I do think that it's healthy to have wholesale as part of the overall mix. Um, and then on the acquisition side, like you mentioned, we we decided to experiment with uh, a brick and mortar retail. You know, so we, we again, I, I had that experience of brick and mortar from Hive and Colony and and 
I knew the value that brick and mortar could play at the on the acquisition side as well. So, it, even though it's still early to 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 have any conclusions from it, uh, we are we're fairly confident and, and directionally we're seeing it go this way that um, brick and mortar can become a very interesting acquisition channel, uh, sort of like playing into this whole omni-channel experience where a customer will be able to maybe buy from us first on a through the store, but then we can continue to target them and sell to them through our online channel. So uh, we, we do see brick and mortar, not necessarily as a profit center, but as a uh, as an acquisition channel um, that can compete or even be better than, than the others. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Please stay with us. You know, given the iOS 14, 15 stuff, how much have you dialed back your your meta budget? Like, are, has, it, has it been scaled back significantly? Are you still work, using it? Or how, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, I, I think that it, it, in absolute terms, I wouldn't say that it's scaled back, but it, as a percentage of the total, it definitely has. I think it, it went from representing 80% of our mix. Now we're, it's under 50, so it's like around 40. So, so it's definitely we've definitely been successful in diversifying that that uh, that spend. So I want to go into the store. Um, you said something really interesting earlier about Hive and Colony, and I wanted to ask you about that, which is your first Hive and Colony store was in Boston, right? Yeah. And, and the store, the Sunday Citizen store, is in Soho in New York City, right? Correct. So how do you go about choosing where you open these first locations? Boston is a really interesting first location to have for a store. So why did you decide that back then, and what made you decide on Soho now? So when we were thinking about Hive and Colony, our whole expansion, a whole business model revolved around opening stores, right? So we wanted to choose a market that we thought was easily replicatable. Um, we feel New York is a beast in itself, right? Like New York is a very, very unique market to the rest of the country. And we felt Boston was the type of market that would give us insights into how the that concept could perform in other shopping malls across the, the country, you know? So we opened in a shopping mall on purpose because we knew that was easier to scale. We we thought Boston had dynamics that were more, um, that we would find in other cities. Um, and and that's why we decided Boston. Our second store for Hive and Colony ended up being in, in New York. But for the first one, we wanted to sort of prove the concept in, in, a, in a more neutral type of market. But when it came to Sunday Citizen, we, we already had a ton of data, a ton, a ton of data. You know, we knew where our customer was. We knew uh, where they were buying. And for a Sunday citizen, New York is by far the biggest market, the biggest city. So that's, it may just made sense for us to, to, to go after the customer. Can you talk a little about the difference in store strategy? Because it seems like we don't need to keep talking about Hive and Colony, but I think it's interesting that you have two different businesses in your wheelhouse. And Hive and Colony struck me as, you know, a re- focusing on retail expansion. Those would be profit centers, I imagine. Of they course. Would be, yeah. The idea was to grow those. And now you have Sunday Citizen, which you said that's not the intent. It's just about acquisition. So how have you designed this store with, with acquisition at the forefront as opposed to it being profitable, you know, its, its own driver of profits? Yeah, because I think I think that the important thing is to see we see some Sunday Citizen as an omni-channel experience, you know, where it really we want to be where it's most convenient to the customer, whether it be online, whether it be offline. And at the end of the day, all we are tracking is that customer LTV to CAC ratio 
and making sure that we're just ca- get, acquiring them wherever it's more convenient than cheaper, you know? So, so we, we, the, the, the store in itself doesn't have to be a profit center, but the, the customers that we acquire through them do have to be profitable. Like, like we, we do want to make sure that the LTV to CAC ratio um, or the unit economics of a customer that's acquiring from our store becomes profitable, whether we, whether it's through that first purchase in the store or through subsequent purchases in the store and our website, you know? Um, and, and that's the way we see it. I think that at the end of the day, it's, it, we have to see it as an acquisition channel. Um, I do think it has a spillover effect where it's making our digital spend in that area more efficient, you know, because of that exposure that it's giving you to, to that market, right? So I think it, it, it also has that spillover effect of, you know, you can have somebody that's, that goes into the store and doesn't necessarily buy from you, but they already saw your product. They touched it. They 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 they, they experienced your brand, and that customer will convert easier through a, if they get exposed to one of our ads than somebody that doesn't hasn't had that exposure to our store. You know, so so and especially a brand like us, because at the end of the day, we are what are we selling? We're selling softness. We're selling comfort. You know, so it's a very tactile experience. And yes, we can do great photography and great copy. But at the end of the day, people can't reach through the screen and touch our fabrics to get convinced, you know. Um, so that was always a challenge. You know, when we, when we were, you know, with, with a website, the way we dealt with that is just by being very generous with our returns and exchange policy. You know, we have 90 days free shipping, free returns, because we want people to trust, you know, say, you know, Trust us that this is the softest blanket you, you'll ever have. Don't believe us. Don't believe it. Buy it. If you don't like it, return it. There's, it's absolutely risk-free. You know, but at the end of the day, we want that person to be able to touch it, to get convinced of our value proposition. So with the store, again, even if they don't buy from the store at that moment, but the fact that they were able to go touch it, feel it, once they're ready to buy a blanket, when they need a blanket, that's when we'll be able to retarget them through our um, digital channels and convert them wherever it happens, you know? Can you talk about how specifically you've been focusing on that store strategy with acquisition? And so I know it's only been a couple of months, right. if even that, but like, are you specifically doing geo-targeting to get people into the store? What are, what are you doing to try and build that so that it becomes more efficient? At this point, we've been doing zero digital marketing for the store because we wanted to understand what the organic numbers look like you know we we're, we're in a pretty good location we're in soho you know we're like on 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 crosby and broom which is literally on that same block we have the citizenry we have parachute home you know it, it's sort of becoming like a home avenue um of, of home brands you know so we do feel that the organic traffic is valuable in itself so we wanted to get a taste of that before we saw we wanted to have a baseline in order to know what the lift was of the advertising that we were going to be able to bring no uh but but yeah part of what we what we want to do is being able to you know the same way that i mentioned to you that 70 percent of our customers in hyven colony were being acquired online um what we want to start doing is like a, a digital strategy of trying to acquire customers online for the store where the way we'll we're going to sell it is like book a, a styling appointment, a styling consultation for you to come into the store 
and actually buy, buy our product. You know, because at the end of the day, a big chunk of our clients are buying a whole bedding solution. It's not that they're buying just the, the pillows or just the comforters. You know, they're, they're remaking their whole bed, you know, with the sheets, the pillows, the comforters, the blankets. Uh, so styling has become a very important component of our brand, you know. So if we were able to basically tell somebody in New York, hey, book an appointment, come to our store where you'll have a designated stylist walk you through the process of how to remake your bedroom, then that becomes a very valuable proposition. It gives them an actual reason to go into the store, you know? So that's going to be sort of at the forefront of our digital strategy for the store. That leads perfectly into the next thing, which is product expansion. And so you, you mentioned that you've done a lot of product expansion. You went into loungewear, for for example. Was that was that a product of the pandemic where everybody was pivoting into loungewear then? Or sort of how have no, you thought yeah, about the new... It was before, yeah. The, it was before? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So walk me through. How, how, how do you think about these new products and what, what is the strategy behind it? Yeah, so so basically the way we've always developed product has been we start with engineering. So we will develop some type of very, very soft fabric that meets all our, our criteria, you know, of like softness, washability, um, sustainability is also becoming an important component. So, so once we have a fabric that meets all these criteria, at that point, we decide what can we sell? What can we produce? What other products can we produce with these fabrics? So that, that's the way we, we, we expanded into most of our bedding fabrics. We had developed, you know, these very, very nice fabrics and we said, okay, we, it works for a blanket. Let's, it can also work for a comforter. It can also work for a pillow, you know? So it, it, it started at the fabric level and then we see what can we produce with that that makes sense, you know? Uh, that was our first expansion, and that's how that's how we actually started expanding into loungewear as well. You know, our first loungewear expansion was using the same fabric that we were using for the blankets. So um, it started that way, and 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 really, at, at this point, we we basically people already coming to us, and they already expect that from Sunday Citizen they're going to get this softness and discomfort component. So we say, okay, what other areas of the home? do we want to offer comfort and softness, right? So we, that, that, that's where we expanded into, into bedding, sorry, into, into loungewear. The, new, the latest expansion that we did at the category level was for bath. You know, so we got into towels, into robes, into bath mats, etc. Again, it, it, for that, we actually sourced the whole collection from Portugal where we were getting very, very high quality products, very soft, you know, made in these like, family factories uh, very in, in a very art, artisanal way. So, so that was a great uh, a category expansion. Um, and the next one that we're going to do is baby and kids because we, a, a big chunk of our, 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 our clientele, uh, they're already moms uh, or in the process of becoming moms. And, and we, we've, we, we hear it from them, you know, they, 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 through our customer service, through the contact that they have, that they want to bring that same level of comfort to their babies and to their kids. So that's the, that's going to be the next expansion. We're kind of running out of time, but I have a lot more questions that I want to ask you about. But one is about wholesale, because you mentioned how wholesale is a big focus for you and that it's the fastest growing of the business. How, what is, how are you approaching it? Who are you targeting? How is that all working? So with wholesale, we've been very lucky because most of the wholesale partners that we've had, they've come to us. 
And, and, and this is, I think, you know, going back to the qu original question that you asked, you know, at the beginning, should we go D2C? Should we go wholesale? I think the biggest benefit that we saw in going first D2C is that it allowed us to really create a brand. Not a, it's it, it, uh, not a product brand, a lifestyle brand, you know. So um, since that original, it, you know, we've had a lot of great wholesale partners like Nordstrom, like Bloomingdale's. It, they've come to us and, and they're not looking for a blanket. They're looking for a Sunday citizen blanket. They're looking for Sunday citizen comforter, you know. So it, they came to us for the brand and that, that, that allows us to, to be able to to work with them in, in, in much easier terms. And um, so, so a lot of it has been like that, people coming to us, people wanting the brand. Uh, we did start uh, going into several trade shows. We're actually doing our first hospitality trade show in the spring, you know, so it's, you know, we started with hotels, but so far it's been zero of a focus for us. Uh, so our first attempt to go after that market, it's going to happen this in, in the springtime. For a hotel, would you have a retail requirement? Would you be like, you you know, or, or a branding requirement in terms of, I've talked with some other companies that are going into there and they, you know, they don't want to just be a nameless soft product or, or a good product. They want to make sure that people know it's you. So how are you thinking of approaching that as you grow that business? Yeah, absolutely. I think it has to become almost like a showroom for us. You know, hotel rooms have to become a showroom. And, and, and I think part of it, is being able to to for customers to discover a product through that, you know. So being able to have a like a hotel offer our products in their lobby is a great add-on. You know, that's something that we're definitely going to try to push. Um, it, it's something that we won't be able to do with hotels, I think, that easily. But we we have we have had a program with, with Airbnbs where we sell them products at a discount with the condition that they put some type of um, QR code or some type of banner in, 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 in the, in the apartments, like saying, Hey, you love the blanket. You can, you can buy it at Sunday citizen, you know? So I do think it becomes a great, great way for you to actually test out. It's like, a the, the same way you would test drive a car. You can test drive our products through, through these, um, experiences. Almost running out of time, but I always ask people at the end, sort of, what are your, your big goals for the year to come? You just opened the store. You're going to be growing out this wholesale channel on a variety of levels. What are you, what are, are the sort of your top three things that you're most focused on? Um, and are you thinking of opening any other stores or is it just going to be this New York Soho place for now? No, we hope, you know, this is a proof of concept, which if we see, if we see good results, we do want to start expanding into more brick and mortar. Um, I, 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 wholesale is also a big priority, but I, I do think that the biggest project for the year is going to go be the, that baby launch, that baby expansion. Um, I think the, the main goal for us this year is really to you know, on LTV expansion trying to go after that existing customer. How can we, how can we offer more products to that customer? How can we provide more value to them, you know? So I think that's the really the focus for the next year. LTV is going to be the big thing for most for most brands in 2023 with everything that's going on. Exactly, yeah. Well, Mike, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Bye.